Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Good morning. Welcome to Harvest. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. I think it's page 810 in my Bible. I'm Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest, and I get the joy of being with you again this week. Uh, last week, yeah, last week we talked about a theology of go, a theology of go. Uh, a little review as you're turning in your Bibles. From last week, we had three takeaways. Uh, number one was God pursues us. God pursues us. Number two was we pursue others on his behalf. We pursue others on his behalf. God mercifully, graciously, and lovingly pursues us and that causes us to worship him and to love him. And that overflows in us lovingly and intentionally pursuing others on his behalf. And number three was it's our privilege and our joy to be on mission with God. It's our privilege and joy to be on mission with God, going, making disciples, pursuing others with the gospel is not just our purpose and our commission. It's our privilege and our joy. About a month ago, our family was sitting around the table and my little guy, Corbin, who's six years old, was sitting there and eating and of course he didn't have his shirt on as usual. And, and I just, just decided to ask him, I was like, hey buddy, uh, what's your purpose in life, man? And he goes, hmm. He stands up and he pushes his belly out as far as he can get it. He goes, my purpose in life, Dad, is to get my belly as big as I can. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, we'll work on that purpose. <laughs> it's not just our purpose. It's our privilege and our joy. And today now we want to talk about what it looks like to live a life of go, a life characterized by going to the world, a life of both uh, organic and intentional going, displaying and proclaiming the glory of God, God's people on God's mission for God's glory in the everyday of our lives, in the everyday of our lives. Matthew chapter five, are you there? Look down to verse number 13. We're gonna start there, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? For it's, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Salt. Uh, salt acts as a, a fertilizer, um, a preservative, a, a seasoning, a, a flavor, okay? There's a lot of debate about what is salt right here. How was salt used at the time that this was written? How are we intended to understand this reference to salt? Look there, it says, um, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, okay? But, but the point is, the point of this metaphor is, is that salt is Different, salt is different from the thing to which it's applied, right? Salt brings something beneficial and positive, whether for preserving or for flavoring. It's helpful. And in that, it contrasts to what it's applied to. Salty living is how we affect and influence the world. It's a, it's a more subtle testimony. Salt works into and is absorbed into what it's sprinkled on or what it's rubbed into. It works some change or benefit or flavor. We are to be different. We are to be distinct from the world in order to point the world to Jesus. Displaying Jesus and living the gospel out Morally and spiritually distinct from the world around us. Why? In order to positively affect the world and others and to display God's glory to them. The point of this passage and this reference to salt is that the world is spoiled and flavorless. But Christians are salt. Um. Pastor Doug likes to say that if Harvest Indie West disappeared off of the map tomorrow, so if, if this church just disappeared, and the, not the buildings, right? The buildings isn't the church. We are the church. If the people here at this church just disappeared off the planet tomorrow, would our communities and our workplaces and our neighborhoods miss us? His hope is that they would that, that people would say, like, where did they go? Like, they were really nice and kind and they were so good to have around and we, we didn't necessarily agree with them about everything but, but they were passionate about it and they lived it out and our communities and our workplaces and our, our neighborhoods just not gonna be the same without them. His hope is that we would be the salt of the earth. Look down there, it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt's lost its taste, 
How will its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. There's a whole lot of discussion about this too. What do you mean? Can I lose my saltiness? Or wait, wait, can salt lose its saltiness? I, and there's all kinds of discussion. Listen, I doubt that Jesus intended us to debate the chemical properties of salt when we read this. Like, what's it say? It's simply this, salt is salty. And if it wasn't salty, it wouldn't be salt. It'd be pointless, it'd be useless. Followers of Jesus are salt. Followers of Jesus will be salty. You are different and distinct with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And we will live out our lives as children of God, displaying him a life of go, a salty life. Now, you really don't have to look much further than the verses that are right in front of this and even right after this here in the Sermon on the Mount to see what it looks like to live a salty life, a, a counter-cultural life distinct from the world. But I'd like us to turn to another passage this morning. Go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 10, it's on page 869 in the Bibles that are on the backs of the chairs. I want us to see what it looks like to be salty Christians, displaying the glory of God, displaying the good news, displaying lives transformed by him, by him. Look down, we're gonna start in verse 25. Luke 10, 25, it says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That's interesting. That's the real reason why this is happening. The lawyer is putting him to the test. And he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? It's interesting. Desiring to justify himself, he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Tell me who my neighbor is so I can check that box off. Tell me who my neighbor is so I can do the minimum amount required. Tell me who my neighbor is so I can earn my salvation. Like, I've got this loving thing, like, handled. Just let me know who to love. He's missed it, right? He's missed that loving God overflows in loving others, and he's asking the wrong question. Desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor, verse 30, and Jesus replied, I love how he replies with a story. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and then departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, now by chance, a priest 
oh, good, a priest, a preacher man. He knows the law. He loves God and others. He'll take care of this, right? Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, the beaten man, he passed by on the other side. He goes out of his way to avoid him. Doesn't sound like love for others, does it? Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, oh good, a Levite. He's not a preacher, but I think he works at the church. He's a godly man. Surely he'll love God and others. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Hmm. Verse 33, but, but a Samaritan. Oh no, <laughs> a Samaritan. Um, Samaritans were considered worthless by the Jews. They were considered evil outcasts, half-breeds, traitors. You called someone a Samaritan as an insult. They were enemies of the Jews. They hated Samaritans, and likewise, what's he gonna do? Well, surely this Samaritan's also gonna pass him by. He, he, might, even, he might even stop and kill him and finish him off. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the beaten man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. What? He had compassion, compassion here. He had deep feeling for him. He identified with his pain and his suffering. What's he do? He's going to disregard all societal, religious, social, and racial stuff. And he's gonna care for this man. And not just a little, extravagantly. Look at this. Verse 34. And he went to him and he, he bound up his wounds and he poured on oil and wine and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll, I'll repay you when I come back. That's, that's mind blowing to me. Like He's just opening up a door to be taken advantage of, isn't he? I'll repay you whatever when I come back. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? I love how Jesus changes the question here, doesn't he? Rather than asking, who is my neighbor? He says, prove to be a neighbor. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? He said to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said, the one who, he couldn't even say Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you, go and do likewise. All that for an enemy. Who loves like this? 
What's the difference here between the Levite and the priest and the Samaritan? The big difference, right, is compassion. Compassion that overflowed in an, in an act of mercy. I thought about this, and as I was thinking about this, I'm like, compassion isn't just something you can just muster up more of, is it? It's not just something you're like, no, I just want a lot more compassion. I'm just going to try harder to get more compassion and to be more merciful. Compassion's not like that, is it? It's, a, it's an overflow of something that's within. It's an overflow of having received grace and mercy, having received compassion. It's an awareness of the grace that I have been shown, and it's an overflow of showing that to others. Those that passed by the beaten man should have seen themselves in the beaten man. They should have identified that it, it could have been them there on the road, bloody and broken. They should have recognized that they were broken and in need of mercy like this man was physically broken and in need of mercy. We are broken and in need of mercy, aren't we? And Jesus has shown us mercy. See, these parables are primarily salvation stories and where do we see that here? Well, we see... <laughs> That Jesus saw our desperate situation. He saw our brokenness and he was compassionate and he showed us mercy and he cared for us when we didn't deserve anything. He binds up our wounds and he shows us grace and he provides for us and he walks with us even when we take advantage and he pours out his grace towards us. And not only that, he was broken for us. Jesus has shown us mercy. And then how's this parable end in verse 37? What's he say to do? He says, you, go and do the same. Not, not as a means of salvation. Not to justify ourselves as an overflow of mercy and salvation that we have received, as an overflow of the love that we have been shown in Jesus Christ. And now, as, as salt of the earth, we see and we have compassion and we show mercy in ways that defy the world and our culture in ways that stand out, in ways that flavor and preserve and fertilize and display the glory of the one who has loved his neighbor perfectly. Salty living. You are the salt of the earth. Turn over quick to another passage. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. It's on page 978 in my Bible. Ephesians four. And I hate dropping in. It's just like one verse I gotta share here, but I hate dropping in on just like one verse. I think we need to see everything that's happening kind of here in this context. So uh, we're gonna start in verse 17 and we're gonna 
read a few extra verses. That would be okay, reading more of the Bible this morning. Drop in verse 17. It says this. Now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the, in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each, of, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And this is the verse, 32. Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is my family's favorite verse. You may often see us with it written on our bodies <laughs> to remind us to keep it right in front of us, to be kind to one another. This is, this is not just a, a kid's verse. This isn't just a verse that we use against our children when they're being bad and unkind. And I'm guilty of that. But most of the time, as we're using it with our children, it's us that needs to hear it the most. This is for all of us. We've been forgiven. And that forgiveness overflows in forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive. Those who have experienced the greatest kindness are kind in return. Those of us who have been redeemed and transformed and are being transformed by God are kind, salty. Don't overthink this. As you go in life, organically and intentionally, be kind. Be gentle. Be loving and thoughtful. Be a listener, an encourager, 
a helper. Salt, flavor, preserve, and display God in your living everywhere and to everyone in the simple and in the complex things of life. I was struck by this this week in my own life. Um, so this week I was sitting in the drive-thru at McDonald's. I love McDonald's. Amy and I love McDonald's. We love the beverages at McDonald's. Amy prefers a tea, half sweet, half unsweet, little ice, styrofoam cup. Oh, the controversy. <laughs> I like large Cokes at McDonald's. McDonald's makes Coke better than Coca-Cola company makes Coke. It's amazing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So I spend a lot of time in McDonald's drive-thru. And a few years ago, McDonald's decided that they were going to increase the effectiveness of their drive-thrus by making them double drive-thrus. Okay? And, and when you go now, the double drive-thru works in a specific way. And we know the way that a double drive-thru works because they actually draw the lines on the ground for us. They give us instructions so that we can see where to go. It starts as one single line. We line up in that one single line and as you approach the double drive-thru, the roads divide. And the road's dividing. You can choose the open drive-thru. You can go left or you can go right. So it's open to the left. I go to the left. The next person pulls up. They go to the right. And then it alternates back and forth. Okay? And it works really well. Until <laughs> someone drives into the parking lot. And if this is you, I'm sorry. Today's your day to repent. Someone drives into the parking lot and they, they look past the 10 cars that have been waiting in line for 10 minutes. They see an opening in the double drive-thru and they somehow must in their head either say, well, none of these people know how a double drive-thru works. Only I know how a double drive-thru works. So I'm going to pass them and go right into this double drive-thru. Or they just look back and say, I don't care about any of you. I'm in a hurry and I'm going to pull in front of you into the double drive-thru, passing this line of patient people who are waiting single file till we get up to the double split. Well, this last week, I'm working my way up in line and someone decides to do this. And the car in front of me decides, not on my watch. <laughs> not on my watch. And so he pulls up and then they pull in and then he pulls up, and then they pull it. I'm like, there's going to be, they're going to crash. Nobody is giving, okay? And then it proceeds to get heated. And they are yelling at each other in this road rage-like incident happens right in front of me. Where the problem occurred <laughs> was when after it was all done, I realized that I had been sitting there cheering on the person that was fighting for their spot in line. <laughs> and in that moment, in that moment, the Lord just struck me with it. 
So, I mean, it, it kind of erupted into something pretty serious. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm sitting here in my car, air conditioned on, waiting to be served at my window to get a beverage that will harden my arteries. <laughs> and, and I'm hating my neighbor. I know it seems like a silly little thing, but it is revealing of a heart. And the Lord hit me with it, and I was like, change my heart. I want to be flavoring. I want to be preservative. I want to be salt in a decaying world, reflecting you, bringing something beneficial as I seek to display your glory to a dying world. In the little things and in the complex things. You are the salt of the earth. Go ahead and turn back to Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt's lost its taste, how will saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good work and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are a light. Ever try to hide light? It's not easy. It finds a way. It finds a hole. And what's it do? It shines. It's more drastic than salt. Salt is kind of working its way in subtly, even silently. Not light. Light's proclaiming, it's illuminating, it's like, here I am, light. It's not meant to be hidden, it's meant to shine. It's meant to be held up and celebrated as it illuminates. The contrast that we see here is that our world is dark. Christians are light. Are light. Um, John 8, 12 says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the true light. But we reflect him. We reflect his light. We are made in his image and indwelt by his spirit at salvation. The truth of God revealed in us and spoken by us. We are visible representatives of an invisible God. And we live lives of go as lights, and our lives are illuminating, they are proclaiming, they're proclaiming his light. Um, imagine it kind of like a light in a dark room. Um, this room gets really dark late at night, like creepy dark late at night, and churches are kind of creepy at night anyway. But it, it's really dark in here, and I came in one time, <laughs> Hopefully you don't ever come in and flip the lights on and I'm standing there. 
I came in one time and I, I stood down here in front and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. So I just stood there for a second and like it gets suffocating. Like it's almost like you can just feel the dark pressing in on you and you get uncomfortable with it. And you know there's nothing to be fearful of even in the dark, but you kind of begin to wonder. And you're just like, I need light. And then you, you flip on like your, your phone light or something and it's almost like, oh, light. And it's like you can breathe again. Light is, is polarizing. It causes you to stand out. And reactions to light um, can be different, can't they? Um, the revealing properties of light will lead to different responses from people. Some people will love the light. Uh, like a child in a dark room who, who thinks there's monsters hiding in the corners. And, and, and mom or dad comes in and flips on that light and, oh, there's no monsters in the corners. And there's nothing, nothing to fear. That child loves the light. Some people will hate the light. Restaurants with dirty floors, they hate the light. Right? When 6.30 rolls around and that odd mood lighting kicks in and you feel the crunch and the stickiness under your feet. And if the lights were all turned on, everyone there would probably lose their appetites and leave, right? Light is the enemy of that restaurant. They hate the light because it will reveal what's lurking underneath. We are not responsible for the reactions to the light. We're called to live lives that faithfully, humbly, and graciously reflect the light and proclaim the light while trusting the Lord with people's responses to the light. So I talked a little about how we are salty Christians. How are we light-shining Christians or lighty Christians, as I put it in my notes. Light-shining Christians proclaim the truth of God. They proclaim the good news. They make it verbal. They speak it. Look in this passage. Look down in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Glory to your Father in heaven means that they've heard about him and that they can give glory to him. They've heard that that's why you're doing what you're doing. It's because of him. Our life, our deeds will lead to opportunities to speak and to share why we're doing that. To share that it's all because of him and his grace in us and through us. But we have to verbalize the gospel, don't we? You might be like, well, I've been, I've been sitting in my break room at work at lunchtime for years just throwing out Jesus vibes. Holding, hoping someone will just stop and talk to me. 
and ask me about him. It's not going to work. You have to verbalize the gospel. You have to look for opportunities to specifically share about the hope that is within you. And to be a light. Romans chapter 10, just listen to this. Romans chapter 10, it says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Awesome. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, without someone proclaiming him? How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We have to verbalize our faith and that can be intimidating, can it? Because we know how others can and probably even will react. And we fear that. We fear man, but we have to speak. It can, it can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Simply use words and tell others about Jesus every single chance you get. Verbally reflect his light and verbalize what he's done in our lives or what he's currently doing in your lives. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Real quick here, before we finish, four ways, four practical ways that we can be salt and light, that we can live lives of go. One, first practical way to be salt in life, to live out a life of go, pray. Pray. Being salt and light starts on our knees. Uh, one of the great mysteries of this life is that we can have an impact around the world from our knees. One of the great mysteries is that we can appeal to the God of the universe on behalf of others. And he answers, pray. Pray for your coworkers as they pass you in the halls. Pray for their family. Pray for their health. Pray for their job. Pray for their salvation. Pray for your kids as you're tossing a ball with them in the backyard. Pray for your kids as you're teaching them. Pray for your kids as you're watching Jeopardy together. Pray for them constantly. Pray for their salvation. Pray that the Lord would give you opportunities to show uh, mercy and compassion and kindness. Pray that the Lord would give you opportunities to verbalize your faith and that he would give you the courage and the grace to do that. Pray that he would grow your heart to love your neighbor as yourself. Pray. Walk through this life communing with our God in prayer and then watch 
how he answers those prayers. First way to be salt and light, pray. Second practical way to be salt and light, see. See, S-E-E, see. Have eyes open to see how to love and show kindness to people around us every single day. Right in front of us. A couple questions to help us think about this. Do you believe that everyone you encounter is there by the providence of God? Do you believe that everyone you encounter is there by the providence of God? So a question and I hope you answer that question. Do you believe that God controls everything? Do you really believe that he is absolutely sovereign over everything? If you do, then no one crosses your path by accident. No one crosses your path, a child of God, by accident. He's in it all. You never have to ask the question, I wonder if the Lord brought this person to me on purpose. Yes is the answer to that question. It's all by his hand. The right question is, is what will I do with this opportunity? See, not rushing through life unconcerned for others around us because we're so busy doing what we're doing because it's so very important. But looking for ways to be salt and light in the 10,000 little moments of this life. Stop, see, have compassion, listen, be kind. So pray, see, third, speak, speak. Speak the good news about Jesus. Now this, is, this, isn't, this isn't a billboard you wear, you wear around your neck. This isn't dancing around like the donut down the street, advertising for the donut shop. This isn't a megaphone where you're yelling at people. This isn't getting the gospel in as fast as possible to the person working the drive-thru at Wendy's. It's winsome, relational, timely, loving, clear proclamation of the good news about Jesus Christ in your relationships that you develop at the right time and in the right way, speak truth. Now, this is necessary to make disciples. It's absolutely necessary for people to initially respond to the gospel. They have to hear the gospel and so we speak. For people to grow in their walks with Christ and look more and more like him, they have to know what they're speaking supposed to do and what their lives are to be characterized by and so we speak and we teach them to obey all that God has commanded us we have to speak truth be aware of the Lord providing those openings in your life and then take them and speak graciously and lovingly and clearly what the Lord has done in your life and what he can do in theirs if they'll but turn from their sins and place their trust in Jesus. Pray, see, speak, and the last practical way to be salt and light, to live a life of go, is to go. It's to go intentionally, 
go. Harness where and what God has blessed you with, whether that's gifts or finances or your profession or time or relationships. Use them for his glory and go intentionally to other places and other people and be salt and light there. Pray, see, speak, and go. Matt Chandler, a uh, pastor in Texas, uh, said this. He says, almost all of the beautiful things God will do in and through your life are gonna take place over a long period of time and through a whole lot of ordinary. I love that. Almost all the beautiful things that God will do in and through your life are gonna take place over a long period of time and, over a, and through a whole lot of ordinary. We are ordinary people who've been pursued by an extraordinary God. And we have an amazing mission to pursue others on his behalf in the everyday ordinary of our lives, living out lives of going, of being salt and light, God's people on God's mission for God's glory. Go. Father, we thank you so much that we get to gather here this morning together and worship you, Lord. I'd ask that you would help us. We, we love you and you have shown so much kindness and grace and mercy towards us and we want others to enjoy relationship with you and we want to reflect you in this world and be beneficial to this place and we want to display and proclaim you every step of our lives. Would you help us to do that, Lord? Not for us, not for, not for our glory, Lord, but for your glory so that you would be worshiped and so that others would have the great joy of being now in relationship with you and spending eternity with you so that we would see the church grow, so that you would be made much of, Lord. Thank you for the, the kindness that you have shown us when we didn't deserve it. Thank you for stopping and showing compassion, and binding up our wounds. Lord, by the power of your spirit in us, would you help us to stop? To feel and have compassion, and to bind up wounds, and care for others, and be taken in advantage of so that we can point to you and your 
glory and your awesomeness. Love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.